Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. So thank you for having me, Flatirons Food Film Festival. Thank you to Julia, to Karen, to Megan, to the whole team that actually made this possible so us two can chat a little bit. Sorry, this is the fourth time that I've watched your movie. Awesome. (laughs) And every single time, I've had more and more little nuggets that I've found. I want to show you this and everybody this. I had about seven bullet points for tonight's conversation. I don't know if you can see. Now my entire page is completely full with notes. So wow. we got a lot to talk about. That's I want to tell everybody, great. this was a, a really important opportunity for me because this platform of Flatirons Food Film Festival connects two of my three major passions, food and film. And we joked, the story and I, that if he had sat down with a Cuban baseball player's family, it would have been all three, the trifecta. <laughs> so two out of three is pretty good. So clearly I am excited to have this conversation. Awesome. The thesis of Best Served Podcast is to really value and focus on within food and beverage and hospitality, why and who before what and how. And so I love your film because the what and the how, the food was clearly foundational. However, why these people did what they did and who they are as humans was clearly the most compelling part of the story that you were trying to tell. And so the first question, why did you make this film and who was this film meant to be for? You know what? The, the film was made for, for several different kind of people. You know, it was made for me. It was made for a Cuban audience and it was made for an international audience. Like, but it, yeah. it speaks on three different like layers, right? Uh, I'm gonna back like down the story. Like as you saw in the film, like like I didn't grow up in Cuba, and then I returned to Cuba, and then I left Cuba. So I felt like I have a, a depth with my island to understand my country better, and that happened like more or less when Obama was was like uh, approaching Cuba. I said, okay, you know what? I wanna I wanna get to know better Cuba, but I wanna get to know Cuba without like when you go to Cuba, you're always the Cuban that left the island and there's a lot of politi- politics uh, in, behind that. So I said, okay, we should do it about, about food because food is going to be is something that we love and it's something that brings everybody to the table, you know? So on one, on one level, I was trying to discover the island and I was trying to, to reconnect with my roots. On a second level, I was trying to talk to Cubans in Cuba and outside of Cuba and on a third level, I was trying to bring attention to, like, Cuban food is like, everybody says, okay, no, it's just Caribbean food. It's just Caribbean food. Yeah. And, and Caribbean food is actually awesome. You know, like, like yeah. it, it doesn't look, it's, it's, it's very interesting because, like, people, like, neglect of Caribbean food. And they say, you know what, it's not as refined. And it doesn't look as refined, which is something totally different. You know, it's like Chinese food. Chinese food doesn't look as refined as, say, French food. Or Caribbean doesn't look as refined as, say, French food. 
but the technique and the amount of hours that you have to dedicate to do a pernil and arroz con gris, you know, it's pretty much like the, the same amount of work that you have to dedicate to do a French meal, you know, it's just a different kind of cuisine. And I wanted to bring a little bit of attention to that as well. So the style of film, first of all, I love everything that you just said. It's exactly what storytelling is all about. The style of the film and the storytelling that you chose, the narrative, I was fascinated in the way that you were clearly in every moment. You were talking to people, touching and interacting with them, as well as eating the food, yet you were omnipresent, yet you were, weren't in any scenes. You weren't there like showing your personal reactions in the moment. Why was it important for you to tell the story in that method? So uh, I grew up watching a lot of European films in Cuba because when you're there, like that's, that's your biggest connection was to Europe, right? Because there was a, an embargo. So during that time you would see a lot of art films from Europe. So I, I grew up seeing like symphonies of cities, uh, you know, symphony of a city of Berlin, a film from the twenties and I fell in love with that observational kind of cinema. Uh, the, one of the, of the films that I'm a biggest fan of is San Soleil by Chris Marker, and it's a travel log. So the travel log is you hear the voice of somebody traveling and you're seeing this travel. And I, you know, and there is a big tradition of travel log and I thought that it was a, a, good, a good language for the film that I wanted to make. I didn't want it to be front and center. I didn't want it to be like, I didn't want it to be about me, although it's a story that I'm telling. I wanted people to hear the story and see the images and travel themselves. You know, like they could forget about me and just connect in the, in, in, in the story or in the images. And it was not about seeing me doing that thing. You know, it was, it was, it was a travel log. It was an experience that we were, me and the audience having at the same time. You know, they, it was not that they're seeing the island through my eyes. It's like we were both seeing the island at the same time. And, and I was speaking about like what it was resonating with me at each moment. So you mentioned speaking kind of to different audiences and that was something very clear. And the first time that we spoke, I was very interested in that dynamic. You also are then weaving this narrative about the cultural relevance of the food itself and the cuisine. You were very big on naming the individual places that you were the names of the people that were a part of it. There was a lot of social commentary as well as political. So when you were thinking about that, how were you trying to navigate that, weave that in the story without making it a political film, without making it a food documentary? It was very thoughtful the way that you kind of interwove all those different elements. Yeah, it was something that we, that, that we wanted to do since the beginning. Like we wanted to talk about several topics and we wanted to touch several things, but we, wanted, we didn't want it to be like a strong voice to say, this is what we think and this is what you should think, you know, and we have this agenda. We wanted to put the things as clear as possible for everybody to just sit and relax and think by themselves a little bit on it. And, and, and yes, you can see that, Many times I try, I drive the conversation where I think it should go, you know, like talking about talking to the Cuban people directly, talking about the future of the island. But since the beginning, we wanted to, to let the people think from themselves and not just specifically said what we wanted to say all the time, you know. So it was, it was very delicate to, to, to navigate that because a lot of these people, when you, when you like, 
it's complicated when you when you're in Cuba and you're in the countryside and and there's a lot of people that have been watching like propaganda for a lot of years and and all of that like sometimes they see you as the enemy you know and and if you're not going like straightforward talking about politics and talking about that and you're just saying hey I want to see what you cook I want to see how is your life and and you just leave everything like out they feel that you're really talking to them you know they don't feel that you're taking advantage of them so I mean I think we were all getting to know each other in the film and and and, and that was the main thing you know like to 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 bring people together so when you uh, were selecting the different locations, talk about that. I was interested in where you went and when you went there throughout the film. So maybe give us a little bit of your thinking about the way you flowed from scene to scene, from place to place, from story to story. Well, we shot several more stories. We shot, uh, sure. you see in the film, nine stories. I want to say that we shot 16, but we could not make, a three hour film, you know, because nobody was going to see it, you know? So we had to pick and choose like the strongest stories. Um, it's complicated talking to people sometimes. So what we did, we sent, we sent a team ahead uh, for a co like couple months ahead. And they did a research like in all the, the, the provinces and cities of, of Cuba. They did a strong research and, and they come up like with two, three stories in each town. And then when we got to Cuba to shoot, because I live in New York, when we got to Cuba to shoot, they were going, the same team was one week ahead, just touching base with each character. So we would get to a city and it was very fast. We could not spend a lot of time. So we had three or four days in each city and we would get to a city and we would meet three characters. We would start shooting with the three of them. And then we would realize that there was one that was more important for what we wanted to tell in that part of the in that part of the story and we will follow that story you know and we try to divide like different concepts like for instance pinar de rio is, is family you know it's, it's cigars so it's cigars traditionally has been a family business havana is like the cosmopolitan city you know so we try to divide like different concepts of, of like baracoa which is where you see like the only place in the island where you can see indigenous people is 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 a different thing. That's the reason that we were in a river with a with a family that came from indigenous roots. So we try to 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 dedicate each city to a different concept. And at the end, we 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 had a couple of stories, and then we chose the one story that that was more attached to that concept. Love it. So you mentioned a couple of the places now. As a chef, we're gonna to have to talk about food. So let's get yeah. into food a little bit. I wanna remind everybody, I got four or five questions going. Uh, throw more questions in here because the two of us can banter all night long into the morning, absolutely. We want to find out from you exactly what you thought about the film, what you questions you had about the film. I definitely see some people asking questions about kind of tourism or what's happening in Cuba so we can get into some of that as well. So keep them coming we're fueled by your interaction as well. So, all right, I wanna talk about food a little bit. Clearly as a storyteller, I love everything about the way that you told the story because you really focused on why and who, the thesis. As a chef, I so wanted to know exactly 
what that food really was like. And it was interesting when you mentioned kind of being on the river, it was the one place where there was the people eating the pecan and you had the shrimp with the coconut milk and the river shrimp and that's what they were talking about. And they're sitting at the table eating and it's something so fundamental to me, just that little bit of reaction when people point at or use their spoon or fork and point at a dish, you know that you've done your job. And so I kind of felt like I wanted more of that. So I want you to think about some of the dishes specifically, and I'm going to rattle off some dishes right now and let you kind of think about the items that you want to highlight the most. But I'm going to talk about a couple of the dishes because I want everybody to salivate right now and say, I'm booking my trip to Cuba. I have to go try these foods. All right. So some of the things that stood out to me, being with uh, Ernesto on the boat and the crudo, the fish, I mean, was literally just out of the water with some some very simple dressings to me was just such a profound type of dish being on the boats. You then also have the octopus right on the beach. It was very interesting how where you were eating was almost as important as what you were eating. So those are a couple of dishes that stood out for sure. With Magdalia, the yuca with mojo, the tostones, like man, like, unbelievable seeing the setting that they were in. And I know everybody, you're agreeing with me. Like I know I can't see you, but I know everybody is nodding their head right now going, yes, I need that dish. The culinary school. You talked about your grandma Carita, you know, the abuela is very important in the Latino culture when it comes to passing on food identity, for sure. And you had the grandmas there and they had to catch and, and harvest all their own food. And then you talked about the seafood polenta, like I've never tried before. The pig roast where, you know, you showed the slaughter and it was very important, the process that truly they go through, that you didn't PG it because, you know, for your audience. Yeah, and that was a tough decision, though. <laughs> I, I, I could tell, like, it, it seemed like you, you showed it from a distance, so it wasn't, you know, but, but I think it's real. And I think it's an important thing for people to understand. It's real. Everything about what you were showing was like, this is how they live. So those are a couple of things that stood out to me. I'd love to know from you if there's specific things about those individual dishes or any other dishes for you that just stood out where it was like a light bulb moment and you knew you had found something important to you as a Cuban. You know what? Like there is, there is from all the things that you said, there is two different, two different things that I got. And, and I got as a human being like doing this trip, like with food. One is what is, what is luxury for you, right? you know, and understanding what is luxury for you. And for me, like luxury is a very simple feeling, you know, like luxury for me is not being a helicopter in a plane or what a private yacht. Like for me, luxury is to be on a beach, step in the water with a friend, catch something and eat it right there. You know, like that's, that's something that I really loved about the film. You know, like these people that like you say in Cienfuegos, Ernesto, they're very humble, but they're very humble. You catch a fish, you eat it there. The, the entire feeling of being there and with the salt of the water in this poor boat, that's for me what, what is a luxurious experience of traveling. You know, you're getting to meet somebody that is a beautiful person. You're getting to eat like very delicious food, like, and very authentic and very, very close to what we are as, as like, primates like as human beings you know so every time like every so often when I go to Cuba I try to go to Baracoa and meet with Jose and I get there to that beach and he goes like 
hey, sorry, what do you want to eat? You know, whatever you want. And he just swims in the water, like 30 minutes after he comes with something that he just caught and just like, let's cook this. So for me, there is not a, a most, like, he doesn't have a setting. He doesn't have champagne. He doesn't have nothing. Like, there's nothing. We're in the middle of nowhere. But that's what a feeling that I want, like, for instance, my daughter to experience, to be in a beach with no luxury, with no nothing, but just eating fresh food. That for me is like something that I dis- rediscovered in Cuba and that like really is important to who I am right now. Like when I, when I choose to travel to somewhere, I'm like, I want that raw experience, you know, like that is raw. It's, it's, it's not refined, but it's delicious at the same time. So that was one end. And on the other side was discovering these dishes that people doesn't expect out of Cuban cuisine, you know? So in Baracoa, they cook with coconut milk and that's something that people maybe relate a little bit more to Haiti, you know, and maybe a little bit, a little bit to Jamaica, but there is an entire cuisine in Baracoa that, that is based on uh, like coconut milk and all of that. And I started thinking, why? And the thing is like Baracoa during a, during a very long period of time, was more connected through the, through, through the routes, through, through the business routes, through the Caribbean and through Louisiana than with the rest of the island. So they have a different cuisine there. So that for, for me was mind blowing. Like the food there is just delicious. The chocolate, I still have chocolate from Baracoa in my house. And, and lastly, like Hibara was very special because the way that they could see food there is totally different, you know, it's totally different. Uh, than they cook in the rest of the island. You know, they use like, like uh, how do you say, caracoles, like snails and all yeah. of that, that, that you don't usually see in Cuban cuisine. And, and it was, a, for me, it was a revelation, you know, like, like seeing they, how they would spend the entire night getting these snails from the sea and all of that. It was a revelation. And, and you know what, the rest of the Cuban food, like the roast pig and all of that, who doesn't like it? You know, but that's the that's the thing that we know the more like more, and that's the things that we relate more to to Cuban cuisine. You know, but those other two things like the experience of of the rawness and and discovering those two different kind of flavors were like amazing for me. But then if I keep thinking like discovering how Cuba was changing in Havana with all the new restaurant tours was also something that that inspired me a lot, and and I have created great friendships and I have dedicated a lot of time during the last couple of years to try to promote what, what they're doing in Cuba because I think that they're trying to change it and, and that's something beautiful. All right, so there's a couple themes in there as far as I completely understand you when it comes to just being in that place, of that place with the people from that place, I think was clearly important and impactful throughout. I think about a couple of things when you were with Jose in Havana at Frente, his restaurant, and it's more progressive and he's trying to break things and do things very differently. Uh, it was clearly important that there's potentially some progress happening that how that adds to the value of what you're talking about. I'm interested in that. You also made a point to say, this is not about the Cubano sandwich or rice and beans, the ubiquitous dishes that maybe the American culture just automatically associates with Cuban food. So I'm fascinated that because pr- progress and then dishes that bring attention, is there value in the Cuban sandwich because it has brought attention to Cuban fare, which opens the opportunity for these other dishes to be discovered? 
or does it become white noise and it distracts from it? So I'm interested in it's, those dynamics. It's, it's like the Cuban sandwich is not white noise. Like it was created in Tampa. Yeah. It was not created in Havana. But I mean, I go to Miami and I have to have some croquetas and some Cuban sandwich. I, 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 cannot, I cannot do it without. And actually, I feel very bad that there is not a Cuban sandwich tradition in, in, in Cuba. And they're just picking up on that tradition because it's something that they cook in, in outside of Cuba. So they're like, okay, tourists come to Cuba asking for Cuban sandwich, let's cook a Cuban sandwich, right? But, but I love it. And, you know, there is a lot of Cuban things that they do in Miami and they don't do in Cuba that are awesome and they're Cuban as well. And there is Cuban things that they do in Europe that they don't do in Cuba anymore. And there's new dishes in Cuba. I think that it doesn't really matter. I'm not a purist, right, in that, in that sense. I started saying that in the film because yeah, this is not a film about those dishes that people know outside of Cuba only. It's a film, it's a sociological film about the island, you know, at the end. But I am not opposed to that. And I don't I, like the people that created the Cuban sandwich were the people that fought to bring freedom to Cuba in the 1800s, you know? So like all the power to them, like they supported Jose Marti when they, he was going to the fight with, in, with Spain. And so like, it's a, it's, a, it's a Cuban tradition. It was just created outside of Cuba. And it's not what Cubans in Cuba cook right now. That was the point. Like the point is like, Cuban cuisine in Miami, it was a cuisine that was following the tradition before the revolution. And after the revolution, a lot of things changed. Like there's a lack of ingredients. There is different uh, agriculture in Cuba. So what I wanted to, to, to talk was not about the Cuban food in general of the world, but the Cuban food that is being cooked in Cuba, which is totally different because there is a lack of many things but at the same time, it works, you know, like it's, it's, it's a pure flavor that, that you experience. All right. I want to kind of weave some questions in from people. Uh, I want to, we'll get back into some food stuff because definitely people had some interesting yeah. questions about that. But back to the film itself, uh, a question from Karen, was the film shown in Cuba and what was the reaction there? And on top of this, I want you to tell people the story about the premiere in Miami. So give us a little bit of kind of the, the viewership uh, within Cuba and then the premiere. Kind of tell us those stories. It's interesting. The film was shown in Havana and in Miami, two totally different audiences. Uh, and it was shown like a couple months apart. It was first showed, showed in Havana. And, and people in Havana, there is, there is something interesting. Like, Cuba people is like they're just trying to survive you know like there's a lot of economic problems during several years and they're just trying to survive and a lot of people doesn't do tourism like like non and I'm not talking about international tourism they they don't get to travel around the island because economic situations and a, a lot of things so and also like there is two television channels that are controlled by by the government and there is two newspapers so People, people in Havana doesn't really know how people in Santiago de Cuba lived. Or people in Santiago de Cuba is saying something of Havana and that is not true. Like, so when we put the film in, in Cuba at the end, like the Q&A was like, oh, we didn't knew that people would cook uh, bacana. I, I didn't knew, and, and we're talking about like 
dishes from the same country and they're traditional dishes. And people, they just don't know how they cook in different parts of the island. They call the same plates with different names. So people was just very interested in knowing in, in the discovery and in being able to travel around the island because they don't get to do it. You know, that like really people is trying to survive. So it's very low percent of, of people, of Cubans that get to even do national tourism, you know, extremely low. So they were feeling like they were discovering the, the, the country with me. So that was, that was very, very awesome. They also felt, they also felt extremely like something that that they love was the way that I was talking to Cubans, that I was talking from outside of Cuba, but saying that, telling them, hey, let's forget about all of this and let's try to think how to make this a better country, you know? And, and they, it was something that, they, that really resonated with them. And then we got to Miami, totally different crowd, a place that is known for having a lot of people that are anti whatever is done in Cuba. You know, because they have, they have had a like they had a tough time when they were you know when they were leaving, and so I could see it when we were in the theater. I was with my wife there, and I could that is our executive producer, and I could see when they were getting in. I was like looking at them, and I'm like, they're gonna they're gonna eat me alive in the Q and A. They're gonna tell me that why we did that film, why we didn't talk about Castro, why we didn't criticize. So I was feel like, actually when the film started playing, I went outside and I, and I, and I got like a, a glass of whiskey. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna drink this because when, I, when this comes inside, it's gonna be tough. And actually all these people that were going to the film ready to give a fight, they, they, they saw the film and they, they saw the place that they promised to themselves that they were never gonna go see again. And they saw it in a light that was not a political light. And it just touched them hard. And I could see these people crying. And I could see these people telling me, thank you for, for showing me my country. I, like, I would have never expected to see it again. So it, it, was, it was very good in, in, in both places. I think like what we wanted to do that was like to touch people, Q&P audience and to make them connect with the island. I think we, we made it work, you know. Did you see yourself as, or do you now see yourself as an ambassador, not for America to Cuba or from Cuba to America, but really like now almost like a translator between people that within the island speak the same language yet don't know each other across Cuba to America. Do you see that as now a role of yours in this film and beyond? You know what, For a, you, you feel a depth to the people that is doing great work there to try to help them. But like from that moment on, like, and also like before, there's a lot of talented people in Cuba. So it's not like there is a voice bringing them alive. So there is so many plural voices now in Cuba that they're doing cool stuff and they're bringing it to the world that I am just one more, you know, like one more trying to chime some light there. And we all support each other and we all support what, what people is doing there. but. I'm just one more in the in the amount of people that is trying to bring light some some light to that and and so yes I still work in projects that 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 Cuba is involved but but I, we're also working in projects in India in Nigeria in in Mexico so there is still a lot of people that need a voice and so we're just trying to give a little bit of voice here and there to people you know Post, you talked to kind of like 1991, it got really difficult. There was a difficult time. And uh, a great question from Dina asking about kind of the villagers 
how did they fare being more self-sufficient or did they lose access to markets? Kind of those small ranchers, those small farmers, those villagers, how did they fare throughout this? Was it desolate all the way across or was there kind of ebbs and flows? That's, that's a very interesting question because when, whenever there is a very dire strait situation in Cuba, and it was not only that, it happens like it's cyclical, uh, the people in the big cities hurt big time, you know, food-wise. Yeah. And the people in the countryside, you, you can just raise a chicken, kill it, and you eat it, you know? So, but then the people in the countryside doesn't have soap. And we have soap, but we don't have food. So it's a balance, you know? So it's it's what happens like people in the countryside can always grow their food and and that's something very important that's the reason that we have initiative with a couple of restaurants to try to grow their food in Havana we try to work with urban farmers we try to raise bring attention to that because I think growing your food makes you independent so that's the reason that the short film that they played before before film rooted like it it, it it resonated uh, so much with me because we have a lot of people in Cuba, restaurateurs that are trying to create their own urban farms. And, and I think it's important because the city is really hurt when there is no food. You know, you don't have where to put a pig, you know? And I remember in those times in the nineties, this is actually a funny anecdote. Like we were, we were struggling, we didn't have nothing and the government like could not even raise chickens. So they would give you, the small, the small birds, you know how to call it like in English, like the... Like a, like a swallow? A no, like a baby Tiny chicken. pigeon? No, like a baby chicken. For like you to grow. a chick? Like, yeah, like a chick, like a baby <laughs> chick for you to grow in your house because they could not raise it for you, you know? And they will all die. Like I remember like oh, getting like man. seven of them and they all dying on me, you know? But because you cannot grow, you cannot raise animals or grow food in, in a city if you're not prepared for that and that's something very important for the future of mankind with global warming and all of that i think that's something that we really invest our time and energy and money in you know uh from trenton let's talk to tourists for a minute obviously we're not traveling right now we're going to talk about covid here in a minute uh and tourism you mentioned it is kind of a emotional roller coaster, a financial and economic roller coaster with the relationship between the former enemy of the United States and now potential partner in commerce and tourism and trade and all those things. So, an enemy down. once again, an enemy yeah. once again, and an enemy know, like, once it, again. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, like I said, an emotional roller coaster for yeah. sure. What can tourists do? What can the American culture do? What can your contemporaries here? What can this group do to shed light, to share stories? to travel there? Like, give us a little bit of a couple things that we can be thinking about if so, we're interested and inspired by Cuba, which we all are. You know, like, if, if you're inspired by Cuba, there's, 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 I would say that the best way of helping Cuba when we can travel again is going to Cuba. And you can still do it legally. You just have to go, like, in the support of the Cuban people. And there's, there's a, there's a legal thing in the license that if you are su- supporting Cuban people, you can go. What does it mean to support Cuban people is that you're not staying in a hotel, you're staying in an Airbnb, and that you're not eating in a government-owned restaurant, that they don't, like, they're not good either way. So you're eating in private restaurants. So it's very easy to go to Cuba under that license. You know, like, it's extremely easy. Obviously, right now, nobody's traveling, but I would say, yeah, yeah. So 
like once people can travel, I, I would say that that's, that's the best way of, because knowing the people in Cuba, like you see Cuba loves the USA. Like that, that's, that's a thing that, that like Cuba loves America and it's not an economic thing, it's a, it's a traditional thing, you know? Like in Cuba, people see NBA, people see major league, people see US boxing, people see US films. And if you want like people, like when they wanted to say somebody, something is good, they're like, that's Yuma. You know, like that's, that's the meaning, that's the quote, that's the slang for saying something is good. So yes, people love like the culture, like the governments are different thing. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people to people. What you can do is just go there and meet people and know the, the couple brands that they have in Cuba and they're trying to sell here and support them, buying them, you know, but like going there and meeting them is what means the, more, the most for them. Yes. So I want to wrap with the film and then I want to talk about kind of what's happening with you now, the situation with COVID a little bit, because there's a little more contemporary things happening. You started the film saying you were going to find the missing flavors, kind of finding those food traditions, those things that you had missed when you were part of that culture because of the downturn of times and oil turning to water in the cooking methods, things like that. And then you ended the film saying you started out feeling like an outsider. Did you find the missing flavors and do you still feel like an outsider? You know what? I feel, I feel like an insider that lives outside. Like, I don't know if that's, if that's a, even a, a way of saying, but I, yeah. I do you feel like, like that, that gives you perspective potentially? Yeah. Yeah. I feel that I reconnected and I feel like I, 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 I made like, I made new and I reconnected with friends from Cuba that are, an important part of my life right now and if i had not gone to gone to make the film they would not be a part of my life right now and i really appreciate that and and so that was that was the flavors when i talking about the missing flavors i think yes i find them you know those me those were the missing flavors like on a personal level like reconnecting with friends and and with your roots you know it's important to feel like a sense of belonging even if you you don't live in the place, you know, you understanding where you come from and being proud of where you come from, it's something extremely important. Not agree more. Uh, yeah. It was it was alluded to. You and I have talked about it. Very much felt like this was volume one because there's so many more stories. And and kind of to to Robin's question here, she just popped this in. I want I was interested in it. It's talked about how besides Magdalia mostly the focus was on men throughout is are men holding on to the culture there was some grandmothers as well was there anything to it's, that dynamic yeah it's extremely uh, like, and and it's a very it's a very good point when we went to cuba we knew that there was a high chance that there was that was going to happen you know and my executive producer is 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 a, is a woman is my wife and and our our photographer is a female and she was not. She was chosen not only because she's amazing, but also for the fact of being female. So, and we had a very female-heavy team just to be able to try to deal with that. But machismo, there is a tradition. Like even if the people that we interview are not machista per se, you know, they're not like macho men. Would be the translation. Uh, this men are still the front and center of, of the family, you know? And we try, like, there was even stories like Migdalias that I would just tell Gigi, the photographer, what to shoot. And I, we, would, we would 
would stay outside because we knew that she was not comfortable taking the lead in a conversation and she was not even comfortable talking. And that's the reason that I had to, to talk for her. And, and it was something that we still, to this day, like I still to this day feel extremely bad that, that as a director that I could not make that happen. And I don't know, like maybe because of that is like, for instance, we're right now in Mexico and we're doing Mexican bread stories. And it's a, an entire film would be like the second, like let's say like the, 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 the sequel to Cuban food stories is not a film in Cuba, it's in Mexico, and it's Mexico bread stories. And it's all about like the entire film about female bread makers in, in Mexico. And because like it's something that I, that, I, that we tried, we tried hard to do and, and we could not make it, made it in Cuba. And, and Mexico has a, a similar situation with the, with the machismo, but still like bread, it's very interesting bread there's a high culture of female bread makers and they're not only making bread, but they're also keeping the family, uh, supporting the economically the family. So that's the reason that we're calling bread makers. Um, and we're working on that film right now, but it, 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 yeah, it was something that we tried to do very hard. And, uh, and we felt bad. Like we, we shot a couple more stories that had females and it, it, they were just, like something that I would have to talk on top of all of them just to make something, just to make a story because they didn't want to give the interview for one reason or another. And it, it was tough. And for instance, we have another documentary is about fashion that is a, about a, a, a LGBTQI female like couple in Cuba. And it's just about them. And it's about the, the lesbian like, like community in Cuba and, and, and we're working on that. So it was not something that we were looking for. We're very open and we're very interested in that. It was just something that happened and we could not resolve it during the entire shoot, you know, and, and that's something that we actually feel bad about it, you know. Well, I appreciate that you're reflecting on that and then trying to find ways to weave that story holistically from your filmmaking kind of portfolio as a whole. So I appreciate that. I want to take a couple minutes to talk about the situation now. So you mentioned New York is where you live. I know you're doing some work with the restaurants there. Just want to say this dinner in a movie was really started by Flatirons Food Film Festival as an opportunity to support restaurants. I want to give a big shout out to Cuba Cuba. I think we ordered every single thing on their menu here in Denver. And it was important to, to interact with the restaurants. A handful of restaurants for every single one of these series have been a part and done special menus. I just want to say to everybody who's been involved and anybody who watches this and anybody who shares this with somebody else for a restaurant to be so completely in turmoil right now, yet to be asked to do a special menu, a Moroccan menu, a Cuban menu to expound on kind of their brand or go in a different direction to support this in a time of turmoil. It, it just shows the compassion that they have, the drive that they have to share food with other people. So I want to take a moment to really acknowledge that very very important yeah. so but it's a also, delicious meal tonight it's also like not not only not only the passion and, and not all it's the resilience you know like like restaurant people it's like like from the moment that you decide to make a restaurant you know you know that you're in from like it's not like they put it in films that it's all sexy you know like no. Like the margins are low, you have to be in the kitchen the entire day, the kitchens are hot, the kitchens are small depending where you are. Like so 
restaurants are this resilience, you know, like they're working their ass off the entire day to make like very little profit margins. And yes, it looks good on the outside because the food is something that is so delicious that you're like, oh, this is a blast. I wish I could do that this for, for a living, you know? But the resilience, the, the, the love that they put into that, like there is nothing like, that you can compare to it, you know? And the, the restaurants are struggling. The restaurants, like when, when the shutdown started in New York, we decided to start making a new documentary that was about the, the, the closures, you know? We still don't know if it's going to be a series or if it's going to be a one-off uh, film that is called, it's called Maximum Occupancy. And it, it, it goes through every stage that we, have, we are living now. And we think that we are, like people think, oh, we're going out of it, but we're not even in the middle, you know? Right. I, think, I think we're going to be in the middle of this in October, you know? Once, once like uh, all like the, the economic health start running out, once people see that they cannot get back to their works and all of that, and once restaurants figure out like they cannot live on takeout, you know, like like on takeout and, and, and delivery because takeout apps are like getting a lot of money, you know, from the restaurants. They're, they're billing for 30%. They're vultures. You can say it. They're vultures. Yeah, yeah, they're vultures. So yeah. like once, like then you start seeing all of that. So you're going to see a real effect in restaurants in some cities more than, than others, you know, like New York is going to be hit very hard. LA is going to be hit very hard, you know? There's cities where the, the percentage of restaurant per capita are bigger that you're just going to see them change because it's going to be, it's going to be tough, you know? So it, I love what the restaurants are doing, but even more, I love what everybody that is here, like all the attendees here are doing that is supporting the restaurants, you know? It's extremely tough doing this economic turmoil that nobody knows what, how their finances are going to be next month, you know, to still say, you know what, I'm going to support my restaurant. You know, that's, that's something very brave. And that's something that I, that I, that, that we should do because it's, it's important, you know, and, and spread the words. Like if you can pick it up, don't order delivery, you know, just order from the restaurant because they're billing the restaurant 30% for delivery. So let's say if you, if somebody ordered $200 from a restaurant and you are like, Oh, they're making a lot of money with me. They're paying sixty dollars to Grubhub, and they're not making maybe five or ten dollars of, of that order from a two hundred dollar order. So they cannot pay rent on that. So it's extremely that this is what you're doing is it's important. You have to support them. You have to go out there and 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 be like proactive, like you like like this audience is doing. You know, I think that's very important. Yeah, I'm working a lot with the restaurants. Those are a lot of my contemporaries and two things. One, there's a lot of drive to kind of go into what's next because the industry had gotten progressive when it came to food style, but still very arcane when it came to the business model. It hasn't shifted in over half a century. And so th there's a lot of moving and shaking. One of the things is for them to be able to be more dynamic because look, I love getting food delivered to my house for restaurants, they are now starting to figure out there's ways that they don't have to be subservient to the delivery apps that they can start to own that technology. So there's some opportunity there. And I'm really pushing restaurants on that front so that it does make it easier for people to be able to get the things the way from those restaurants the way that has them actually making money. On the flip side, so let's give people a little bit of guidance. Support a restaurant that you can walk to. 
Yeah. Like that's one of the first things I tell people, what is right down the street from you? Think about that in, in a way that you can support them. Support a restaurant where you know a human that works at that restaurant. Yeah. You have a relationship with them is another important thing. Any other things when you're talking to kind of the consumer side of here's a couple, a couple ways that I personally interact that might have an impact. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that, what, I think what you're saying is the most important, you know, su support them in that way. And also, like, see what they're doing. Because, for instance, we, we have discovered restaurants that are, are very, doing very interesting things in, in New York. For instance, all the restaurants that are working with, with World Central Kitchen. You know, that's amazing. Like, we were just making an interview in Charles Fried Chicken uh, a couple of days ago. He's one of the best fried chickens in all New York State. And he's in Harlem and he has been there for uh, over 40 years. So Charles, like we're talking about a very old man and we were shooting with him on Wednesday and he delivered, like he cooked with only one or two assistants, 900 meals to take to a project and it was paid by Warsaw Trek Kitchen. So like try, if you want to support restaurants, try to look, if you, do, if you say, okay, I already supported the ones in my neighborhood and I want to expand, like look for those kind of, of, of organizations, Warsaw Trek Kitchen, or look for instance, we, we interview another restaurant that is called Mojo, Mojo Desserts, that is also in Harlem. And they do, they do mousse and, and coffee for hospitals, you know? And they, instead of asking in a GoFundMe for their, for their staff, they go, their GoFundMe is like, okay, you pay for a mousse and a coffee to a, to a, to a healthcare, uh, to a hospital, and we match it. So they bring a lot, of, a lot of those meals. So look for those kind of projects because these people that is not only trying to be creative with the restaurant, they're trying to help at the same time. So yeah, I think both are, are extremely important things to do. Restaurants truly are pillars of the community. We're seeing that now more than ever. Yeah. I think we underestimated that, not only from a cultural standpoint, but from an economic standpoint. And so you're going to see a lot more focus on the fact that restaurants now are the epicenter of culture and commerce in any community. Megan, Karen, somebody, you're going to have to cut us off because we will just keep going and going and going. I know we're, you know, after nine o'clock now, coming up on 9.30, just for me personally, and I'll let Asori thank everyone as well. Thank you to everybody for being a part of this. Thank you for the opportunity. Amazing film, Asori. Amazing. Thank film. you. Thank you so much. And you and I a have a lot more to talk about for sure. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.